You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. If you have uh, your Bible, maybe you'd turn back to that passage in, in Matthew 25. Uh, can you see all right? It's getting a wee bit gloomy, is it? Or is it my, are my glasses dirty? Maybe that's it. I don't know. Anyhow, if, if you, oh, that's better. Let there be light. That's a great job. Christians all over the world uh, disagree on the identity of spiritual gifts. However, for the purpose of this exercise uh, this evening, I want to concentrate on how we can use what we have been given. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If you look at that passage in Matthew 25, uh, verses 14 to 30, in this parable, Jesus talks about our responsibility to use what he has given us. And I want you to notice seven lessons as we work our way through this passage. This is twice the usual three points that you normally get and one bonus one on top of that. So seven lessons that I want us to uh, see from this parable before us. And the first is this. What we have is not ours. What we have is not ours. Verse 14 says that this man was getting ready for a journey. And so he calls his servants uh, together and he entrusts his property to them. Now, that's his property, his money. He entrusted all to him. And it was common for wealthy men to take long journeys. But before they would go, they would arrange uh, for someone to pick up their meal, to feed their pets. But, but even more than that, they would often delegate the uh, control and the multiplication of their wealth to trustworthy employees. They were expected to bring a return and, uh, uh, on what had been handed over to them. And, and given the uncertainties of travel uh, in, in those days, um, the, the time of return, even for a well-planned trip, was, was often open-ended. They didn't know when the owner would come back. It could go on for weeks. It could go on for months. It could even go on for years. Now, there was no doubt that the property and the money still belonged to the master. The servants were the possessors, but not the owners. And their job was to manage what they were given. And likewise, we must remember that everything that we have, everything has been given to us, and it isn't really ours anyway. Here's what the psalmist writes, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Haggai 2, verse 8 adds, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Now that's something we need to get a hold of. Everything belongs to the Lord. Everything. We, have not, we own nothing. Even the lives that we have are a gift from God. 
He has the rights, and I have the responsibility. He is the master, and I am the manager. I am the servant. He's the sovereign. Can I ask you if you've let that truth, if, if you just let that truth permeate your being, that you would think that through. You and I don't really own anything. Anything we have is on loan to us from our Creator, from the Maker of heaven and earth. We really own nothing. Everything belongs to the Lord. And until we recognize this truth, we'll not be good managers of what has been entrusted to us. Our days are in his hand, aren't they? Even our days. Our gifts and abilities are on loan from him. You know, some people are better at some things than others. People are good with their hands. Other people are useless with their hands, but people are good with figures. Other people are are gifted in music or and some some people some really annoying people are good at everything but but all of it has been given to us it's not because we're better than anyone else it's been given to us our our money is an advance from the almighty our houses cars clothes every possession we have none of it belongs to us we really don't own anything it's on loan. Soon it will be somebody else's. You know, it's one of the great lessons in life, isn't it? Whenever someone has lived a long life, and I think of, I think of my mother-in-law. Died, she died at almost 92 years of age. And she lived in her own, right up, right up to she went into hospital. She was in hospital for maybe about 10 weeks before she died. But she was completely independent. And, and suddenly, we had a house and all our possessions to get rid of. Have you ever tried to get rid of possessions? The house sold quite quickly. We had to get rid of the possessions. We couldn't give them away. And, and the amount of stuff we took to charity shops and, and to the dump too. And, and I remember saying to my wife, you know, there's all that woman's belongings. And... and she, she scrimped and saved to buy the best. And there it is. Some of it is handed on to relatives. Some of it goes to charity shops. Some of it goes to the dump. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. And it's on loan to us. So that's the first lesson. Here's the second one. We're given what we can handle. We're given what we can handle. In verse 15, we see the master gave some talents to three of his servants. Uh, look at it there. Verse, verse 15. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Then he went on his journey. Now, I want you just to stop and think a wee minute about this word talent. In Jesus' day, it was used as a measure of weight, but it was also used to indicate a very large sum of money. Now, most commentators agree that it would take an ordinary laborer almost 20 years to earn just one talent. If, if you were to use the minimum wage today, 
the minimum hourly rate today, a talent would be worth almost a quarter of a million pounds. That's, that's the region we're looking at. So that means that effectively the first servant with five talents was worth a million and a quarter, is it? The second servant with two talents, half a million. The third talent, something around a quarter of a million. And though there's a big difference between one and five talents, the one talent servant still had received a lot of money. There was a lot of resources there. And of course, that reminds us that that the God that we deal with gives out of his abundance to us. I want you to notice that each servant received, the Bible says here, or Jesus says in this parable, each of them received according to his ability. According to his ability. Your responsibility is tied to your ability. And and I find that very interesting. God's kingdom purpose his purposes do not operate according to what is fair, but according to what is best. Let me say that again. God's kingdom purpose, purposes do not operate according to what is fair, but according to what is best. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 5, after challenging believers to be united by not getting into cliques, Paul writes this, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you, ca- you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Did you catch that? Each of us has been assigned a task. Each child of God has been assigned a task. And it's our job to be faithful and to do what he has given us to do. Now, you might think immediately, oh, the task is to be a missionary, or it could be, it could be, a wife, a mother, a father. You don't know. It could be anything that the Lord has assigned to you. You have what you have because God gave it to you, and He expects you to manage His gifts within the boundaries of ability that He has wired into you. God entrusts different responsibilities to different people according to his sovereign purposes. In other words, he knows what we can handle. He won't give us more than we can handle. He won't give us less than we can handle. He knows what we can handle. And our job is to be faithful with whatever talent he's given to us. Do we trust that God knows more about us than we know about ourselves. You know, sometimes I think we need to remind ourselves of that because whenever envy kicks in and you see somebody that maybe you went to school with and and everything seems to have fallen to hand and they've done so well and you're struggling, well, the problem is we don't know the whole story, but God does. And so he assigns those gifts and talents as he knows best, better, than we know. Here's a third lesson. We must invest what we have been given. We must invest what we've been given. 
Verse 16 tells us how the five-talent man got to work right away, and he doubles his master's portfolio. He provides five more. The two-talented guy did the same thing. Verse 18 describes the different approach of the third servant. Look at verse 18. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Just went off and hid it. He was a slacker. He went off and buried his blessing. He went off and buried his gift. Folks, our potential is God's gift to us. What we do with that potential is our gift to him. Let me say that again. Our potential is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift to him. Someone has said, you're the only person who can use your ability. And that's right. You are the only person who can use your ability. Are you investing what you've been given, regardless of how much it is or how little it is? And I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about gifts and abilities that God has blessed you with. Are you investing those for God? Or have you buried your blessing and kept it hidden from others? You know, I I have entitled this sermon, Prepared to Serve. We're saved to serve. We're saved to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's you in your small corner and I in mine. And are you doing that? Or are you hiding your light under a bushel? Are you burying your gift in the ground? And every Christian has at least one gift, at least. But are you making those gifts and abilities available to the work of the kingdom? That's a challenge that all of us must face, all of us. And it's so important that we do that. And, you know, some people are really gifted in in one of the greatest ministries that, that that can happen is the ministry of prayer. Well, well then, you should, be, you should be at the forefront. You should be using that. And I don't mean just in the public prayer meetings, in the secret place, in the closet. You before God, alone before God, just you and God. Are you, are you exercising that gift that God has given you? Or evangelism or as a leader in an organization. Here's a fourth lesson. A day of accountability is coming. If you um, come home tomorrow and there's a letter on the mat, and on the outside of it, it says Inland Revenue, and you open that envelope and it says, we're going to conduct an audit on your taxes. I wonder how you'd react to that. Would you be a bit nervous? I think everybody would be. Anybody would be that would receive that. But you see, we'll all eventually be audited by the Almighty. We'll have to give an account of how we have used what we have been given. Look at verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned 
and settled accounts with them. Jesus, we know, is coming again. And when he comes again, that will be a day of reckoning. Now, while most of us believe this with our heads, we don't always live with the reality of eternity in our hearts. If, if we would think more about his return, I, I think, I believe we'd be more focused on making an eternal return on our investments. Romans 14, verse 12, So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us. Each of us. It was the duty of servants to always bear in mind that the master would be returning and that he would be returning to settle accounts with them. Friends, you and I know the Lord Jesus is coming back again. So let's be faithful in doing what he wants us to do. He's invested a great deal in you and me. And one day he's coming back to claim it. And your job may be big or small in the kingdom of God. But whatever it is, we need to do it to the best of our ability. And then we'll be ready for that day of reckoning. First John 2, 28 says, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his appearing. Serve in light of a future reckoning. But one of the big temptations today, I find it more and more, is that the people of God become weary in well-doing. And they maybe work for years in an organization, and they pour their hearts and souls into it, and they see so little return, and maybe even so little appreciation of what they do. Or maybe somebody has annoyed them. Somebody has upset them, said something wrong. And what do they do? They leave. They leave their congregation. They go and they usually join a bigger congregation where they can hide. And just keep their head down. Pay a few pounds in every week and just don't ask me to do anything. And there they lick their sores. That's not what we're called to do. There'll be many as a setback. Doesn't matter. Don't care what church you join. It'll not be perfect in this scene of time. Many's a setback. Many's a hurt. You just have to get on with it and do that work. Here's a fifth lesson. What we do with what we have reveals our view of God. What we do with what we have reveals our view of God. As we come to verses 20 to 25, we see that the five-talented man brought five more with him. And, and you can see, when you read that story, it's almost like there's a spring in his step. He's bubbling over with enthusiasm, and, and he's absolutely thrilled. He can't wait to present to his master what he has done with what he has been given. He's, he's over the moon about it. He wants to please his master. And the man with two talents approaches that day of reckoning with the same sense of anticipation and excitement. And the master is thrilled, and he's pleased with both of them. Verse 21, his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful of a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Verse 
23, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant, and so on. The one talent guy, he, he seems to come a bit more reluctantly to the master. You see it there, verse 24, then the man who had received the one talent came, master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. He's come hesitatingly. Notice, notice the, the first words out of his mouth are about himself. I knew, I knew. We, we could translate this as, I always knew. The other two kept the focus on the master when he returned. Master, you entrusted me. The third, the third man, well, he had a wrong view of his master. And his mind is made up about his master before he received his talent. He looked at him as someone hard and harsh instead of someone who's loving and gracious. A.W. Tozer was um, an, an amazing man, a Canadian. Uh, he died, I think, about 1963. He wrote some amazing articles. Anything you see, if you see any books by A.W. Tozer, well worth reading. He was right when he said this that what we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. If we think of God as a tyrant, then that will filter through everything that we do. It'll filter through the lens of how we look at life. People can have preconceived notions about God that prevent them from seeing him as the God of grace. And as a result, refuse to serve him with, with what he has given them. A faulty view of God can also lead to excuses. In verse 25, this man declares that the reason he didn't do anything with what he had been given was because he was afraid. Because he was afraid. His fear paralyzed him, and so he decided to play it safe. He hid the money to make sure it wouldn't be lost. And he accomplished exactly what he set out to accomplish, precisely nothing. Like the saying goes, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. A wrong view of God always leads to fear. A right view of God always leads to faith. We're nearly through. Lesson six. What we have we must use or we'll lose it. Verse 26 tells us that the master saw right through the flimsy excuses of the servant. You see it there, verse 26. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money in deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Take it from him. The master's saying, I see right through you. This, this teaches us that God will judge us not merely for doing wrong, but as we mentioned this morning, he'll judge us for not doing right. Not just for doing wrong, but for not doing right. Wickedness and laziness go together to keep many people from faith and to keep them from service. 
While the other two servants were busy and working hard and diligently, this selfish sluggard dug a hole, little realizing that he was digging that hole for himself. Laziness is extremely dangerous to our spiritual lives. There's, there's a whole series of verses in Proverbs about this, isn't there? Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 10 and Proverbs 13. But let me, let me quote the writer to the Hebrews. Hebrews 6, 11 and 12. I quote, We want each of you to share this same diligence to the very end. In order to make your hope sure, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. We do not want you to become lazy. Because this third servant did not use what he had been given, he lost it. It was given to the one who had ten talents. So don't hold the gifts and talents you have, but develop them. Multiply them. Use what God has given you. And, and you know, we see this, don't we, in our Christian development. And, and very often fear is, is paralyzing to the Christian. One of the things that I remember when I was first converted, I, I belonged to Christian Endeavor in my home congregation in Kelly Morris. And, and Christian Endeavor, uh, when you went to the meeting, you were expected to take part in every meeting. Not just singing hymns, but th there was a time of chain prayer. And at the beginning, you say, now take your time and, and begin to pray. And I remember for about six months I went. And every time, this was the thing I found so uncomfortable. Came round to the time for prayer and, and I could literally feel the sweat running down my back. And, and I couldn't get the words out. But eventually, eventually, I started. I have absolutely no idea. At the end of that prayer, which was about two sentences long, I couldn't have told you a minute after what I had said. I was that terrified. But I had got started. And as, as the weeks went on, I did a wee bit more and a wee bit more and a wee bit more. And as I trusted God to help me, so he equipped me. And it's the same in every aspect of the Christian life. You know, you maybe think, oh, I couldn't share my faith with anyone. Like, I don't know enough of the Bible. Well, listen, to share your faith, you don't need to know a lot of the Bible. All you need to do is to tell someone what God has done for you. You can do that. You're a witness. And do it. And open your mouth and God will fill it. And that's what we need to do. Rather than bury whatever talents and gifts he has given us, we need to exercise them. And then they'll grow and they'll develop. And you'll find that God enables you more and more to speak for him and serve him. The last lesson. Who you know and what you do will lead to either abundance or loss in the next life. In verse 29, we learn that these faithful, that those faithful in little things will have an abundance. Isn't that what Jesus says there, right at the end? On the other hand, those who bury their talents and blessings will face ruin and loss. A distinguishing mark of a true Christian is service. 
a giving of themselves. That is one of the distinguishing marks when you're looking for a credible profession from someone. That's what you look for. We're saved to serve. And a lack of service betrays a heart where Jesus doesn't live. A Christian who doesn't use what God has given is a contradiction in terms, I would argue. So, let me ask you, how do you and I measure up to these seven principles? What we have is not ours. We're given what we can handle. We must invest what we've been given. A day of accounting is coming. What you do with what we have reveals our view of God. We must use what we have or lose it. It's really important, these things, so important. I wonder you ever watch Antiques Roadshow. People bring their stuff for experts to value them, and, and many times those who have, who have some lavish items, you know, they bring them to the show thinking that they're a huge treasure, and then they discover that really they're a forgery, a duplicate, and they're not worth very much. And then there are those who come with some wee small trinket, uh, a painting or something that's been rescued from the attic, and they're just happy to be in the show. And, and many times, these are the people who discover that their item is worth far, far more than they thought. The people who are hoping to hit it big with their extravagant items are, are a bit like, like we are when we think that we can impress God with what we have and who we are. On the other hand, some of us think that we don't have very much to offer. But what we have is really a treasure from God himself. And our responsibility is to use our ability to invest in God's kingdom purposes. Here you are at a time of vacancy. In many ways, a time of vacancy is it's a strange time, but it's like a time of new beginnings. You know, the old regime has passed. A new regime is about to begin. It's a time of new beginnings. Maybe when your new minister is installed and you get to know him, you'll be able to say to him, look, is there anything I can do to help you to serve God here? You know, it's said a volunteer is better than 10 pressed men or 10 pressed women. A volunteer. It's one of the most refreshing things that has happened to me in my ministry when people have come to me and volunteered to do a specific job. It's amazing. And, and it's amazing to see how God uses people who volunteer. I know all the excuses of people. Oh, I don't want to put myself forward. I don't want people thinking, you know, that... Arms. No, that's false modesty. That's what that is. You need to be willing to offer your service. I don't know. I'm sure from time to time in the announcements, there's vacancies. You know, they need help in the BB, or they need help in the GB, or they need help in the children's church or whatever. When that happens, if that's something that you think you could make a contribution, please let me encourage you. Volunteer. Say, look, I would like to give that a go. I might not be any good at it, but I'll give it a go. And watch how God uses you. Watch how he uses that 
to develop you, to prepare you to serve in a greater capacity. Because that's what happened here. These men were given something, they used it, and then they were put in charge of something far, far more important. And that's what we want. We want to grow. Not be saved and stuck, but saved to serve. Let's pray together.